Alex Smith, uh, Gary and Patty's son, you probably know. He's been serving on youth staff for years and years. Um, and one Wednesday, we had him teach, and we realized that, uh, that there was a gift there. Um, so Alex has been teaching in, with the youth group for years and years now, and um, we've been dreaming and scheming uh, about the day that we would ask him to come and preach on a Sunday, and that happened pre-COVID, um, and I, so I think he was going to preach probably in March or April, um, but I was not about to make him preach to a camera when we, when we were not gathering together. So um, once we got back outside, the conversation reopened, and uh, we've been meeting for a couple weeks now, talking through this passage together. So I'm really excited for us as a body to have Alex uh, come and, and preach to us from First Peter. Awesome. Well, it's good to see you all. Good to see your faces, or at least the top halves of your faces. It's good to be here. Very. I love. I am so glad the weather held out for as long as it did. Well, as Pastor, yeah, as Pastor Greg said, my name is Alex Smith. You may know me as Pastor Gary's son. You may know me as the abnormally short guy who wears a hat a lot and, you know, maybe we never talked and that's all you know me as. You may have be new here and you may not know me at all, and that's fine. You may also know me as the guy who's usually in the back, like, sound projection booth, which I have to say, this is a, very, this is a big change because when you're, in the, when you're in the projection booth, people are only looking at you if you've done something horribly wrong. So the fact that I'm up here now and everyone's looking at me is a little odd, but I think I can get over it because I've, been, I've had high schoolers stare at me before, and it's, yeah, you know, I mean, we're all young at heart here, right? <sighs> so anyway, now that I, so when I was a kid, I never saw myself following my father's footsteps. I want to point that out because it's like, he might be like, oh, yeah, he's the pastor's son. He's up in front of everybody. That makes perfect sense. No, it doesn't. No, from the time I was like four years old, I was into computers. That was when I encountered my first computer. And I decided I loved computers. Computers were the best thing I'd ever seen. So as, when, as I was growing up, I decided, no, I want to I be, be a computer programmer. And my parents were, are wonderful people, and they were incredibly supportive. And they did not, you know, they did not try to sway me as like, oh, are you sure you don't want to be a pastor like your dad? No, none of that. So this is odd for me from that perspective, too, because I, I grew up watching my dad preach and never once really thought to myself, it's like, that looks fun. I'm going to go, I'm going to do that. And yet here, here, here I am. So the good thing about having a, fa a father who's a pastor is I've gotten to watch him over the years. And if there's one thing I've noticed with my dad and his preaching style is that he does not shy away from stuff that is in the Bible that is maybe not what we wanted to hear that day. And... I don't know if this was intentional at our old church in I, at IBC. It always seemed like my dad got the hard stuff. It's like, he was the associate pastor, so he was kind of like the bottom rungs. I was like, oh, what are we talking about this week? Uh, divorce? Okay, cool. Uh, pastor Gary, your turn. But he never, you know, he never shied away. And so this morning, we get to talk about suffering. Is that what you want to hear about this morning? I hope you, you were, were you ready to hear that, like, suffering is... is you know, we get that all... It's like, we have a lot of that going around lately. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want more of that. I don't want to hear more of that. But this is where we are as we've been following First Peter. And I want to talk about, because, I, because this is the passage that was given to me, so I guess it's like I have to talk about, what Peter has to say about Christian suffering. So if we start in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Well, thank you, Peter. That is the exact opposite of what I was hoping you would say. I was hoping you would say that the fiery trial is unexpected and weird, and if that happens, you're probably just unlucky. And, you know, you should just, like, wait it out and it'll go away. I don't want to hear you say the fiery trial is normal or unsurprising. And if I were in the audience right now, this is where I would be tempted, so severely tempted, to check out, because it's like, okay, well, fiery trials as Christians... If, if you've been following along with us with First Peter, like he's, he's speaking to the church at a time when they are facing persecution. It, it wasn't super severe yet. I don't think they were getting thrown to the lions yet, but they were, they were facing opposition from the culture around them. And so Peter has been talking to them about that. That's the context here. So it's easy to hear that. It's easy to want to check out because it's like, okay, well, we, well, we live in America. We have freedom of religion. The government's not going to crack down on me for being a Christian, right? And for a moment, I'm going to be very optimistic. I know my generation is not known for that, but I'm going to be very optimistic and say, let's assume that doesn't change anytime soon. Let's assume that freedom of religion, we get to keep that, and it stays just like it is now, and freedom of speech and all that. Let's, let's assume that stays where it is. Yeah, we, we definitely have an abnormal situation here in the United States. That doesn't mean there won't be trials for those who are Christians. You see, just because your employer, for example, is not supposed to, you know, retali- like not supposed to retaliate against you for your beliefs, that doesn't mean they can't find ways to do that, and they will. That doesn't mean your coworkers can't make fun of you. It doesn't mean your classmates at school won't reject you and ostracize you, which is a big, long, funny word that does not have anything to do with ostriches and has entirely to do with being cast out of your friend group. Peter says this is normal and not surprising. So therefore, it's important for us to talk about this and to actually think about this because if this is unsurprising, then it means it's probably going to happen to most of us at some point if we are going to continue living for Jesus. All right, so now that I've asked you to wrap your heads around that, I need you to take whatever wrapping material you use in your head and I need you to expand it because we're going to, I need you to wrap your heads around something else big because Peter asks us to wrap his, our heads around it. Because in verse 13, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Okay, Peter, I have another question for you. Why are you telling me to rejoice in suffering? When I'm suffering, I'm generally not rejoicing. When I'm suffering, I'm probably not a very fun person to be around. It's like that's not my first go-to reaction how am I supposed to rejoice in suffering? Now, and now, one thing I do want to point out here before we move on is just that uh, Peter isn't saying that suffering does not grieve us. He's not telling us to just slap a fake smile on and be like, I'm going to pretend everything is fine when I'm trapped in my house and literally can't go outside because if I do, my lungs will catch on fire like, like we had a couple weeks ago. That was pretty terrifying. I did not enjoy that experience, right? Like when, when things or when someone is persecuting you, like if you lose friend, if you lose a friend because you won't compromise on your faith in Jesus, that hurts. That stings. And Peter even says in the first chapter of this book, he even talks about like though you know if necessary for you know for a time you are grieved by various trials. We can be grieved by trials. This isn't rejoice like it's like oh I'm just gonna pretend that this horrible thing is actually I'm gonna pretend I like it. That's not what he's saying here, but he is saying that we need to rejoice in suffering. And part of that is because he talks about, you know, we may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There is a rejoicing to come. 
we endure through suffering because we know that there is an end game, that God has got that figured out, and he's got that locked in, and that's guaranteed. But what's funny is he also says rejoice now. Is He's saying to basically rejoice now that you may also rejoice. Rejoicing in sufferings now is a prerequisite for getting to rejoice in the suffering to come. So you guys, because you might think it's like, okay, well, I can all rejoice at the end when everything's good and we're, you know, when I'm in heaven and there's no more, there's no more suffering of any kind. I'll rejoice then. It's like, no, Peter's saying we rejoice now. And this is probably one of the passage I spent the most time in when I was preparing this sermon because how do you rejoice in suffering? Because, I mean, I don't always read Acts. I don't know if you guys remember uh, Acts chapter 5. They're basically, Peter and the other apostles, Jesus has, he's died, he's risen from the dead, and he's gone back to heaven. And so the, the apostles are preaching about him, they're telling everybody. The Jewish leaders don't like that. They killed Jesus for a reason, they thought they were rid of that guy, and now these other guys are running around talking about Jesus. So what do they do? They beat him up. And then they tell him, okay, we, we, we beat you up, and now you're going to stop preaching about Jesus, right? But then... In verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's kind of weird. I feel like if I were walking away, if I was all beat up, if I'd just been like beat, smacked around a bunch and was in a lot of pain, I don't know if I'd be walking away rejoicing, being like, I'm so glad that happened. So what is going on here? Well, something. So what I, what I took away from this as I, as I studied and as I talked to people, is that how, how we suffer, if we're suffering for the purpose of God, of Jesus, in obedience to him, we, our sufferings, we, in our sufferings that way, we are identifying with Jesus. We're sharing in his sufferings, not in his sufferings that save us, like we, we're not earning any salvation through, through that, but, we're, but what we're doing is we are experiencing the same kind of rejection that Jesus did. So in that way, we're, we're identifying with Jesus, but not only that, we're identifying with everyone who's ever suffered for their faith throughout all of history. I believe in Matthew, uh, yeah, no, Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus, it's, this, this is the Sermon on the Mount, it's all the, the blessed, blessed are these people, blessed are those people. Well, some of the people who are blessed are those who are reviled and persecuted and have all kinds of evil uttered against them for Jesus' account. What does Jesus say? He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, do you think people made fun of Noah for building a giant boat in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of, like, with, for, no re- for no apparent reason? Or if you want to go back even further, you want to go back before Noah, like Cain and Abel. Why did Cain kill Abel? God accepted Cain's sacrifice. Cain was righteous and Abel, or not Cain, backwards. I'm sorry. I just, I don't want to, yeah. First time up here, I'm already blaspheming or, you know, committing gross acts of sacrilege. Abel was righteous. Cain was unrighteous. God rejected his sacrifice. Cain got mad, killed Abel. Right? This, is, this is nothing new. And when we are, if we are suffering for Jesus' sake, we are suffering alongside, kind of symbolically, every, all these other figures throughout all of history. I mean, if, you read, if you've ever read the Minor Prophets, like the prophets did not have a good time. Because they were saying things that people didn't want to hear, and they're like, shut up. We don't want you to tell us that we're doing the wrong thing and that God's going to punish us. Um, we're going to throw you in a well. That happened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a really rough time. 
So what does this mean? It means if we're suffering for Jesus' sake, that's a sign that we belong to him. We can rejoice because we know that if we are suffering for his sake and we're enduring, that we belong to him. That's the joy that exists in the present. Beyond the whatever bruises and things that Peter and the apostles suffered, I believe that's what they were rejoicing for. They were rejoicing because they were suffering for Jesus. And I believe that joy now helps us endure to the joy that is coming. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through any any kind of hardship, it helps to know that it's temporary. It helps to know that it's going to go away. Right? I, like if I'm going to go back to like the, the example of like when it was really smoky a while back, right? that was kind of rough because we didn't know when that was going to go away. It's hard to persevere when you're just like, I don't know if there's an end goal to this. But at the same time, you know it's going to end. It's not going to go forever. As Christians, we know that the suffering is, te- we know that the suffering is temporary. Right? This is, it's light momentary affliction. It's not forever. So by having joy now, by having joy in the midst of what, we, what we're going through now, we can, have joy, we can reach that joy that's at the end, the ultimate joy of seeing Jesus in his full glory, make everything new, all, all that good stuff that we don't quite see just yet. So moving on to verse 14, Peter goes on to say, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So saying blessed, blessed, like so you're 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 happy, you're you're good, you're experiencing something good if you're insulted for the name of Christ. What is that? Because obviously the, the insult is bad and it, it hurts, it stings. But what this makes me think of is another thing Jesus said, once again back in Matthew, chapter 10, verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but, and this is the important part, the spirit of your father speaking through you. So when Peter's saying here, it's like, okay, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's what that makes me think of, right? Is, is God's spirit being with us? And this is another thing I think is, I've seen borne out in my own life is the times when I've been closest to God, when I, when I felt the closest to him, have been the times that have been the, some of the least comfortable. So he, he, but he promises to be there in that. And that is a blessing. Having that nearness and that relationship with God, like having the nearness of the Spirit like that is a blessing. The insult hurts, but God has promised that his Spirit will be there. Now, there is a, there is a nice big, you know, there's a nice big asterisk on this. And thankfully, I don't have to hunt for that. Peter puts it right here in verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. So what Peter goes on to say here is he's kind of heading off some possible misconceptions or misunderstandings here. What he's saying is, if you're going to suffer for, for sin, if you're going to suffer for doing something wrong, that's not glorifying God. So, and, that's, and it's easy, and this is kind of interesting, right? Because it's easy to kind of go down this list and be like, okay, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not an evildoer. I'm pretty good, right? It's like, well, he also includes meddler on the end of this, which I find interesting because, like, meddling is one of those things. It's like, that's not, we think of these other, those other things as like, oh, those are all really big things. Meddling is like, that doesn't even seem that big. So, who, who here watches The Simpsons? Who's ever, who, who here's ever watched The Simpsons? I do see some hands. All right. 
The Simpsons has a character. So Homer Simpson is kind of the main character in The Simpsons, if there is one. And he lives next door to a guy named Ned Flanders. Now, Ned Flanders is very much a caricature of everything non-Christians kind of think Christians are, basically. So he is very, like, he's kind of got this holier-than-thou thing going on. Like, he's, he's kind of obnoxious. He's always kind of, you know, criticizing other people. And why do you think Homer doesn't like Ned Flanders? They have this kind of rivalry. Why would, he, why would you think that is? Is Ned Flanders suffering for being a Christian, or is he suffering because he's annoying? When Homer, like, you know, borrows his stuff and never gives it back, like, is, is Homer mistreating him because of his faith, or is Homer mistreating Ned because Ned is an obnoxious weirdo? <laughs> so what we need to have, what I think what Peter is indicating, what we need to have is enough self-awareness to recognize like when, when people are pushing back on us or, or opposing us or insulting us or mistreating us, it's like we need to have enough self-awareness to be able to ask ourselves, like, okay, is this on me? Is this something I did? Or is this, is this really genuinely for my faith? Because if we're... It, I think, I think even earlier in this very book, Peter talks about how it's like, what, what good is it if, you know, if someone suffers for doing evil, right? If you do evil and you're mistreated for it, like what, what's the, what benefit is that to you? If we sin and are, mistreated, and are you know, punished for it, we're being, it's, like, it, we're getting, it's like if we sin, we're, get, we're getting what's coming to us. That's not glorifying God. So he goes on to say in verse 16 then, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So being, being so this kind of suffering as a Christian, being mistreated, like, like a lot of it is, you know, there, there will be accusations, right? There's accusations of like, oh, you guys are up to no good, you're bad, you're hurting people, you're doing all this bad stuff, you're undermining the fabric of whatever society back then, it was, you know, Greek society, they, you know, Went from you know these these people had gone from worshiping you know Zeus and what and whatnot to worshiping Jesus and that culture was there was there was a high there was a heavy shame element in that culture and there, and it still is that way in a lot of places today actually where it's like if you change religions like you basically you know you're you're seen as a traitor to your family your people your town like everybody sees you as you know having betrayed everyone by changing religions so. There's a heavy shame aspect there, and we don't we may not have that kind of shame aspect, but be be prepared for the fact that people will try and tell you that you know your your devotion to Christ is shameful in some way. But if you are suffering as a Christian, truly suffering as a Christian, not because you did not because of any sin of yours, then there is no reason to be ashamed. You know that you have done that you are doing what is right you know, by obeying God. And another, another theme that Peter's had going in this book, too, is like we, we don't retaliate to those who, who do evil to us, right? So if we're, even though we're treated shamefully, we're not responding by, with shameful behavior. Okay, so remember when I said earlier you had to wrap your minds around something big. I hope you've had time to wrap your minds around rejoicing and suffering because now we're going to talk about judgment. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, Peter, I have another question for you. Why are we being, why are we undergoing judgment? I thought that we were saved and there would be no more judgment for us. Well, the short answer to that is that's not the kind of judgment Peter's talking about. He's not talking about condemnation or 
punitive judgment. He's talking about more of a refining judgment. And this has, and we've seen this before. It shows up in Ezekiel. It shows up in Malachi where, where God starts by purifying his people, but he puts them through a lot of hard stuff to do so, to remove whatever, whatever evil is in their midst. That's the kind of judgment he's talking about here. Now, this is another thing I'd rather not hear. I'd rather not hear that, there, that there's more, more hard stuff to go through. But he's got a question for us. He's got a question. So he's asking, if this judgment is going to begin with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Because in that verse, he calls us the household of God, so I, which I take as a clear sign that like, our status with God has not changed. Right? This is not the punitive judgment. We're still considered his household, his people. But this, there's a question here. So what this makes me think of is sort of thinking like, okay, so I've heard Peter say throughout this whole book that like, hey, there's going to be fiery trials. You might want to watch out for those and be like, I don't know if I want fiery trials. I don't know if I want to be a Christian if that means there's going to be fiery trials. But Peter is saying like, hey, if God is willing to put his, his household, his own people through this, what's going to happen to the people who don't know him, who don't believe him, and who are not covered by the blood of Jesus. I mean, verse 18, he, sa he says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So the scarcely there, the scarcely there, I don't believe that that's talking about like, oh, we're just barely saved, oh, we just barely made it. It's like, no, Jesus, we were 100% saved by Jesus. That's more like with difficulty. If our salvation comes with difficulty, what about those who aren't saved? I mean, the way I've been kind of conceptualizing this is it's sort of like, okay, so we're, we're all going to have to pass through some kind of fiery trial. We're all going to have to pass through God's purification. I would argue that in, with G those of us who are in Jesus, we're fireproof. We are protected. We're not going to get burned up by the judgment. We're, gonna, we're protected. We're still going to feel the heat. We're still gonna, it's going to get hot, and it's going to get uncomfortable, but we're not going to be destroyed. But what about those who don't have that protection, who are not saved by Jesus? So the next verse, verse 19, is Peter kind of beginning to conclude. He's kind of summarizing a lot of themes from, the book, from this whole book, but particularly this section. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So this is kind of concluding Peter's themes of perseverance in hardship and suffering and in opposition and in holiness, like continuing to do good. In fact, he's going beyond just saying, don't do bad things. He's saying, do good things. The, the interesting thing, though, about being persecuted for being a Christian is you're suffering for doing good things. And it's not a natural reaction to want to keep doing that. So I think, I think it is worth pointing out that what Peter's saying here, because I know if I put my hand on something hot, my natural reaction is to immediately remove my hand because it hurts. If we're, but if, what we're getting, if we're getting in trouble for doing good, Peter's saying, continue doing good. And we're also entrusting our souls to a faithful creator. So this, is, this stands out to me because I, my, my most recent, the most recent lesson, at least that I was, that I was there for at, the youth group, at our youth group, was talking about faith. The concept of faith being something that is like, it's something we don't see yet and yet we experience. So we haven't seen how God is going to work. We haven't seen how everything is going to play out. 
at the time, the people Peter was writing to, it's like they were only just starting to experience persecution. They hadn't even gotten to like the really rough stuff yet. They hadn't seen how it was going to play out. So the question is, is, is God faithful? Do you believe that our God is faithful and is able to bring us through to what he's got on the other side of it? Oh, and I, I didn't mean to mention this. When he talks about suffering according to God's will, that's basically what we just talked about. Like suffering according to God's will here being suffering for being a Christian, not for sin. All right, so what did we learn today? Well, we've learned that suffering as a, as a Christian, suffering for your faith, is actually an expected way that God works through us. It's, I, I, and I will, I'm not sure, it's like I'm not sure if I'm in a position to do this, but I apologize. If someone gave you the impression that being a Christian meant all your problems would go away once you started following God, that's not what we're, we're hearing. It's an expected way that God works, but he needs us in it. Suffering as a Christian is a way that we are identified with Jesus and with the right, you know, with all, with, like I said, with, with the entire, basically the entire history of all the people who've ever had to go through hardship because they chose to follow God and not humans. And it's something we can rejoice in. We can rejoice in that fact. And we should, we must, or else we won't be able to persevere and endure. And something I think, something I, I, I've been thinking about with all this is, is how, how we suffer, how we face opposition is a clear sign to those outside the church that there's something st- different about us, and God uses that in a big way. If we just kind of float through life existing as Christians and Telling people like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pray for you. It's like praying for people is good, but like if that's all we're doing, that doesn't make a big impact really. But there are things that make a big impact, and there are things like going you know going out of our way for someone, going out of our way for someone who may may not even like us. You know, when Jesus is saying like love your enemies, like that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about like hey just sit there and let people beat you up. But he's saying like. If your enemy's in need, you help them. You'd continue to do good. And that's the thing where it starts talking, you know, getting into the heaping burning coals on their head, which is a metaphor I still don't understand, but it makes an impact. And it's an encouragement to the church, too. I mean, Corinthians is, you know, talks about being, you know, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may comfort others. Like, God, you know, God uses the things that we've gone through to encourage other people. I don't know how many times I've heard this set up on the stage, but I'll say it again. Like, God does not waste hurt. There are, there are times throughout, you know, just the, the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that I find myself wondering, like, how are people who do not have Jesus kind of getting, getting through this? Because with Jesus, we have hope. We have a, a hope that there is something on the other side, like, the suffer, like the, the, anything that we're going through has a purpose and a meaning. But suffering as a Christian, I think, even goes beyond that, right? Like, we can't control COVID, but we can control our actions. We can control whether we choose to keep living as a Christian when people stop being okay with it and start wanting us to change how, what we do or to conform to what they think is the, the right way for people to live. 
That's why I think this part in particular is so important to be aware of, because it's like, this is a kind of suffering we can absolutely ha can control it. If actually in the in the lesson in the youth group talking about faith, you know, in Hebrews 11, it talks. He's, you know, the author is talking about all these people who did all the great stuff. We talk, you know, there are Noah's in there, Abraham's in there. And one thing the author says is all these, if they had the, you know, if they wanted to, they had the opportunity. They could have gone home, basically. They could have given up. They could have just said, forget it. Noah could have stopped building the boat. Abraham could have gone back to Ur, which is the actual name of the place he came from. They could have just stopped. We have that option, too. We can just stop. If someone's like, hey, I don't like how you, keep, you like Jesus so much, you can stop. You have a choice. And it takes guts to persevere and keep saying, no, I'm going to keep doing this even if you're going to start putting roadblocks in my way. I'm going to climb those roadblocks. I'm going to, get, I'm going to keep going even when it gets hard. And I'm not going to be ashamed about it because I know that what is on the other side of this is worth something. And the thing that, and the thing that I that I think helps me the most with all of this is just the recognition that God is there, in the midst of it. That He's me, He's going to meet us in there. That takes faith. That takes faith to see it because it's like you don't necessarily see God standing there like at a, you know, He's like standing there like, okay, just once you get over here, I'm here. You got to believe that. But the Bible the Bible makes that promise to us. And I totally forgot what I was going to say as my conclusion. I mean, that was kind of my conclusion. I thought I had something else to sign off with. Oh, well, I got caught up in the moment. So I hope this isn't too depressing. I hope this isn't like, because when, when I first looked at this passage, I was like, oh, man, I got to tell people they're going to suffer. Oh, boy. I like to think there's hope in there. That we're living for something and that if we're going to face opposition for that, it's worth it to persevere through it. Well, it's been great. Thank you. Oh, it's over now. I did it. Somehow. Yeah. This was terrifying. This was a little terrifying. I, I got to say, when, as Greg said, this was all, this all started before COVID, so I did not expect to be staring out at a bunch of people all spread out with masks on. But I've, I'm so grateful we've been able to continue to do this. I'm really grateful to Greg for being willing to have me up here, even though I got Cain and Abel mixed up, which is like, first, that's like Sunday School 101. And with that, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the, the instruction that you give us that prepare us for these things, Lord, that you're not just leaving us out in the dark. Even if it's not the thing we want to hear, Lord, we love you and we want to, so we want to follow you. So would you, would you help us to follow you? Would you help us to follow you when it gets hard? Would you be there with us? Would you increase our faith and grant us the ability to persevere and endure through whatever life has to throw our way? Would you continue to bless Harvest Community Church as we prepare to move, you know, move indoors and, and continue to make a lot of a lot of weird, a lot of interesting changes. Lord, you are God. You are in charge here. You're in control, even when we aren't. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.